Bibles. Hopefully you're still there to the book of Hebrews. Um, before I get started in the book of Hebrews, um, I want to mention uh, just two quick things. One, and I do not see them, but um, one, I just want to mention my gratefulness uh, that God brought the Abadera family to our church. This is their last Sunday with us. They're going to Kansas City next week. Uh, Matt finished his fellowship, and so they are transitioning where, there. So if you see him, he and Lucy just uh, and the kids, uh, give them a good hug, and, uh, and let's be praying for them as they transition uh, there. The second thing that I want to do as we get started is um, just, um, and, and I'll, at the end uh, you'll, I'm going to come back to this, um, but, but one of the things that we want to do uh, as a church and as a faith family is we want to help you discipleship your family, disciple your family well. And so one of the things, one of the small traditions that has taken place in our family, whether it's birthdays, Father's Day, Mother's Day, uh, those sort of things, one of the things that we do is, um, so if it's a kid's birthday at the dinner table, we will go around the room and everybody, uh, all the family members tells that uh, child or that adult uh, what they love and appreciate about that person. It's a way of honoring them. And so I would encourage you, uh, uh, and without, without me having to encourage them to this morning, my kids and wonderful wife this morning uh, did that for me on the way here. And so I would encourage you as families to do that uh, for, for, your, for your dads, for your husbands. Uh, and it's, it's a great, wonderful time, even when the answer is that you buy them candy, that that's what they love about you. We hope that they grow in that, you know, and that later it will be something a little bit different. Uh, but that is sweet and it's wonderful. So just encourage you in that. So my goal for today, um, what's interesting is that as we get into the book of Hebrews and we look at this passage, that it's not necessarily a, a Father's Day passage. Um, necessarily. You're going to see my connection in a moment. But I think that it says a lot of things about fatherhood, the fatherhood of God, and, and I'm going to make the connection of how it should inform us as fathers. The big thing that I want you to hear from me this morning is that I am not, um, I am just not about this whole thing of uh, beating up fathers on Father's Day. Uh, that, that, that tends to be what, what's supposed to happen on Father's Day is we're supposed to come real heavy-handed towards our men. One of the things I've learned through hanging out with men and being around men is that we need encouragement. Most men are acutely aware of their failures. Uh, and so it's interesting as I talk to them and ask them about their, um, the, the, their fatherhood, uh, I, they do not need a lot of help pointing out their own faults. In, in fact, many men are um, overwhelmed with their faults and it keeps them paralyzed. So this morning, I want to be just a word of encouragement to you, and uh, hopefully you will leave here encouraged um, with a vision, with a renewed vision of, uh, of, of fathering. Several weeks ago on Mother's Day, we talked about gospel mothering, um, and so th- this week it's, it's the same type of thing for fathers, um, but from a different passage, from a different context. So, as we look here at this passage in Hebrews chapter 12, one of the things that you need to know Um, right from the outset, is that this chapter, this section of Scripture, is about persecution. So you have, and fathers are like, yes, persecution, you know, no, 
We're not going there. What you have is you have these Jewish converts who are being persecuted because they have come to faith. And the persecution is, 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 is starting, it's, it's starting to grow, and there's fear. And so we have the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, lean in and, and are trying to encourage uh, these believers. In verse 3 it says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, talking about Jesus. So it's saying consider Jesus and the persecution he went through, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. And in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. I think when we typically look at this passage, we miss these verses and we don't understand the context of what's going on. And so just real quickly, the context is these Jewish believers are being persecuted and the writer of the book of Hebrews is worried that they might sin. And you may say, well, how would they sin? And the way they would sin would be if they gave up the faith. If they gave in to the persecution. And we see this pretty clearly here. So as he is leaning in, uh, in verse 5... Notice this, and it says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And he goes back to Proverbs chapter 3, which I will turn to. You do not have to turn there. I will turn to Proverbs chapter 3, I think. Yep, there we are. Um, And notice this, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1, this is Solomon writing. He says, My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And what we know is that uh, any good Jewish person would have known and been familiar with this proverb. And then the writer of the book of Hebrews quotes Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. So what you're going to see in this context of suffering, in this context of persecution, what you're going to see in these next, in in verses 4 to 11 in the book of Hebrews, we see this word discipline happen nine times. We see it in its noun form and in its verb form. And what you need to understand about this word is that it comes, the root of this word has its root in the word that's for child. I think the most modern day hipster way we could maybe say this is adulting. You know, adulting is hard. Going from a young person into an adult. So in other words, the the idea here is training educating, teaching, correcting. I like the word cultivating or growing into. And so when the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing, and what we're going to see, the, 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 the outline, what he's saying here is, is very easy to understand. It's hard to take in, especially within the context, but what he is saying is, Listen, you who are being persecuted, you who are going, going through difficult things, know that what you're going through, God is disciplining you. God is doing something. He's helping you grow up. He's helping you move somewhere. And in verse 10 and 11, look at what it says, the writer says God is doing. It says, 
For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. Meaning that we as parents discipline our children when they are under our roof in a certain age. But notice this, it says, He, God, disciplines us for our good. And notice the end goal here. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So there is an aim, there is a goal in this discipline. Now let's quickly walk through these verses and then I want to show you three things about this text and then we're going to move into how this relates to us as fathers. And so the the first verse um, that I want to pick back up at is verse 7. Just real easy to understand. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And so God views us as His children, views us as His sons, and so part of His role as our Heavenly Father, who has a goal for us, is to discipline us, because this is what a good father does. In verse 8, But if you are without discipline, of which we all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children, and you are not sons. Uh, In other words, one of the things he's saying is that uh, you don't discipline kids that are not your own. And you may say, no, 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 you don't know how I grew up. And we all have those stories of those. uh, And I'm old enough that it would have been okay if some of my neighbors spanked me. And and probably did get disciplined by some of my neighbors for the things that I did. But this is a different day and age. (laughs) The main person who disciplines is the Father. And God is the Father. And if God is not disciplined, if God is not training, if God is not correcting and moving you, then you are not His Son. And so we are to find comfort in the discipline. Comfort in the hard times. Let's keep going in verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? We should all understand this innately, right? If you have children, and I don't know if you've been through this, certainly most of us have, if you have children and your child is playing in the road, what is the right and loving thing to do to your child? To get them out of the road, but also to discipline them so they know not to get back in the road. (laughs) Now, in the moment, what we read in 10 and 11, in the moment, does that discipline seem Good and joyful. Oh, my father loves me so much that he's not willing for me to get run over by the car that he will spank me for playing in the road. No, in the moment, a lot of times it doesn't seem good. But as a father, that's my role and that's my responsibility as I love my kids. How much more as a heavenly father, the sovereign of the universe, who knows everything, how much more should we subject ourselves to and love His discipline? A couple more just really quick things. Verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best for us. I love that that word is there. It seemed best for us. Pointing to this idea that as earthly fathers, 
all we're doing is what seems best. Over and against our Heavenly Father who knows best. He disciplines us, not as He seems best, but He does discipline us for our good. And and this just blows my mind. That we may share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems to not be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, trained by it. So there is a submitting to it and being trained by it. Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. The the, the problem, the problem with discipline and our circumstances disciplining us, that's what the writer is talking about, is that far too often we are like the kid in the candy store who wants candy for dinner and just does not understand how that is not good for us. And so what do we do? We throw a fit. (laughs) And we complain. And we bellyache. (laughs) And and in many ways, that is the lesson that the writer is trying to encourage us here. And, and, And in our modern day, things have just gotten so crazy. I was at lunch several years ago with a psychologist, and his family was with, was with us. He had a young daughter that was several years younger than uh, Miles, my middle son. And uh, we were at this Mexican restaurant, and uh, we were sitting there for a long time, and uh, this, his daughter was going to other tables eating the leftover food. Me, thinking I'm being a responsible, loving adult, said, Oh, hey, honey, no, 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 don't do that. And the psychologist and his wife corrected me. They said, we don't tell our daughter no. They must have seen the shock on my face. Because he respected me as a, as a, as a counselor and as a pastor and as a friend. And so he said, he said, do you tell your children no? And I said, are my boys still alive? And I said, you know, we had this, then we had this conversation about how discipline is good and boundaries are good and saying no is good and how it's loving. But we live in a day and age in which this sort of thing just kind of goes out the window. <laughs> and the danger is a lot of times spiritually we live this way that when God is disciplining us, we resist and we don't allow it to train us, but we resist and we we, we try to come out from under it. Now, I want to say just a couple things. Just a couple things. One of the things I want you to hear is there is a difference, and we have to understand this in this text, there is a difference between God's judgment and His discipline. If you are a son or daughter of God, do you experience the judgment of God? No. There is therefore now No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are no longer under His judgment. And so discipline is something different than judgment. Discipline is an act of love that is meant to move you, to protect you, and to grow you. And I want to give you three really quick examples um, of three different context in the Bible of discipline. The first one I want to give you is David. And I'm not going to go through the story, but the whole story, but David, 
uh, sinned against God and uh, took Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. And, and God disciplined David. God disciplined David. And David, because of the discipline of the Lord, returned back to the Lord. His heart and his mind turned back to the Lord and, and David w- w- was able to correct his behavior and he learned from that. So that's one way that God can discipline us is in our sin to, for there to be consequences so that we turn and we move back to Him. Another one that you may not think of in this way, but I think is important, is Job. Job went through the Lord's discipline, right? And notice, at the beginning of the book of Job, it says that Job was an upright, righteous man. But notice what the discipline that Job went through produced in him. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, just let me read this to you. That because of the discipline, because of what Job went through, notice what he can say to the Lord. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou can do all things, and that no purpose of of thine can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel and knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand. Things, listen to this, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here now I will speak. I will ask thee, and do not instruct me. I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now, but now, my eyes see you. At the moment, the discipline of the Lord in Job's life seemed harsh. And Job was tempted to to give in and to give up. But notice what this discipline produced. It produced something in Job which he says, I have seen something of God that is too wonderful for me to even be able to tell you about. And so it's worth it. The discipline of the Lord. And one more. One more. Paul. I love this one. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, the infamous thorn in the flesh. Listen to how Paul talks about this. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, notice this, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting in myself. The loving hand of the Lord in giving Paul a thorn in the flesh so that, so that he did not make a shipwreck of his faith by exalting in himself and pointing people to himself and not pointing people to God. Brothers and sisters, this is a hard lesson and we could spend many weeks on this text, but what I want you to hear is that the discipline of the Lord although hard, is good. It's good. And it's for our edification. And it's for our sanctification. And it doesn't mean that God likes persecution. It doesn't mean that God likes hardships. And as fathers, we know this. Uh, If you like giving your child a spanking, there is something wrong with you. God doesn't like it. But it's necessary. You see, the way that God is talking about these persecutions and these hardships, He's not talking about these as if He's a repairman. 
is if he comes and he sees something wrong and he says, oh, okay, well, I need to turn this and make this, do something with this. No, it's more like a surgeon. It's more like a surgeon that sees a cancer and the most loving thing to do with that cancer is to cut it out. And that's what God does. He loves us that much. As Christians, as Christians, our goal and what God has for us is to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness, and it takes discipline. And there are three quick things that I want us to, three big points from this that I've already mentioned, but I want to restate, and then I want to move into uh, fatherhood. But the first thing that I want you to see, and it's vitally important in this text, is that discipline is the result of a relationship. We can't separate discipline from relationship in this text. And God uses the most intimate language He can use to show us about this relationship. He disciplines His sons. And this should blow your mind this morning that if you are in Christ, the God of the universe calls you son, daughter. And that relationship is not just like, oh, He's one of those people down there I see. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows you intimately. He loves you more than, more than almost anything, to be theologically correct. <laughs> and He celebrates you. He's, he's crazy about you. You are His son. You are His daughter. And he, so that discipline does not come out of some uh, random place of you being a little ant and stepping out of line and him wanting to squash you. No, that discipline comes out of a care for you and your soul and your sanctification and what's best for you. It's the love of a father, the perfect love of a father. The second thing, the first thing, discipline is a result of relationship. The second thing is that if God is sovereign and if he loves you, then he knows what's best for you. And the reality here that we have to wrestle with, sometimes we don't understand the circumstances in our life, and I get that, and I am sympathetic with that. I don't understand it either. And what we have to come back to is that although it's hard, although it's difficult, God knows what's best. He is a loving, sovereign God, and He's working for our holiness. And, and holiness to us has to be better than wealth and health. The peaceful fruit of righteousness has to be better than a peaceful, tranquil life. If those other two things are our idols, we will never understand the discipline of God. Thirdly, thirdly, discipline, discipline in this text is a means of grace. He loves you so much, He's not going to allow you to destroy yourself. It is a pure act of love and grace in your life. It's not simply punitive, but it's out of a heart of love that's moving you to what is best for you. If we had time, we would turn to 2 Corinthians 4, 7, where it talks about that this momentary light affliction is producing in us. And in Romans 8, uh, several years ago, uh, we just ended Romans last week if you're new with us, but several years ago when we were in Romans 8, 
we learn that that suffering is producing something. So it's not arbitrary, but it is love at work. And so what you may be saying this morning is, what in the world does this have to do with Father's Day? And in some ways, it has everything to do with Father's Day. In the book of Proverbs, it says to train up your children in the way that they should go, that it's, it's, it's our job to train, to discipline them. In Proverbs, where the, the quote from verses 5 through 6, where we're given, it's Solomon instructing his son in these ways. So I feel comfortable making some connections there. The other thing is this. As fa- Isn't it interesting that God chooses to reveal himself in the Bible as what? Father. I think because of all this, and we could go into some psychological things that we won't go into this morning, I think it is very appropriate for us to look at this passage and to see how God disciplines and as fathers to gain some wisdom and insight in how we should discipline our own children. And so I want to take just a little bit of time, a little bit of time, and and practically come down and talk about as fathers how we should discipline our kids. And the first thing I want to say, just like we said earlier, fathers, discipline your children out of a relationship. Our children need to know we love them so that the discipline is effective. If our children don't know that we love them, then the discipline that we try to give them simply becomes another, ma- uh, another matter of some authoritarian, uh, uh, oppressing figure in their life that's trying to beat something out of them because they're annoyed at your behavior. Fathers, take time. Take time to get to know your kids. Spend time with your children. They need to know that you love them. Some of you were raised in homes where your fathers didn't tell you they loved you. Your fathers didn't hug you. Your fathers didn't kiss you. Uh, I am thankful I I was raised in a home that was the opposite of that. My father was raised in a home like that, and so he was the opposite of that. And one of the greatest gifts my dad gave me was the ability to get down with my children face to face and give them a hug and plant a big old kiss on them to let them know that their father loves them. I'm not willing to let them play in the street or destroy themselves by playing video games eight hours a day. But they know it's from a heart of love. They know it's from a relationship. It's from a heart of love. Fathers, point your children to the bigger picture. Make the connections for them. In your discipline of them, point them to the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not so that they can be a good, productive citizen. The bigger picture is so that they can serve God with all their soul and all their might. Point them to the fact, and, and when, we, when we mess up, this is the great time to do this. Point them to the fact that even though you love them supremely, there's a God that loves them more. And although that you have goals and plans and purposes for them, there is a God that has bigger and better plans and purposes for them, and that's to love Him with everything they have and to glorify them with their whole lives. Be speaking this to your children. Make connections in their walk of faith. In our discipline, let them experience, 
Let them experience this discipline as a means of grace and love. Fathers, if we could think about this, if we could think about that our discipline towards our children need to be a means, an action of grace and love, an extension of grace and love, it it will change the way we do things. Now, I'm going to give you a flaw of mine. One of the things that I probably discipline my children most often for is that I can't find the remote. I don't really discipline. It is discipline the way we're talking about it. I have stern conversations. Kids, where's the remote? Just yesterday. You know, this sermon just not even in my head. Kids, when you get done watching TV, put the remote here so I don't have to dig in the couches and find French fries and other things. I just want the remote. In that moment, discipline or correction is simply my annoyance. If I'm following my own advice, I would do that differently. I might even let that one go. Or I would do it in such a way where they don't feel like I'm annoyed by them or perturbed by their behavior. (laughs) That I love them. And I'm doing something, even though they may not fully understand it, I'm doing something that is for their good. Dads, when you get angry with your children, and there is a such thing as righteous indignation, before you discipline, know why you're angry. And be able to communicate to your kids why you're angry. And make the connection in your own mind about how this discipline will shape them for godliness and holiness. Make it in your own mind before you act in discipline so that you can help them to see that because we want to be pointing them to what is best for them. Fourthly, make sure that our discipline is loving and not harsh. It's not provoking them to anger. It's not uncontrolled. It's not unplanned. It's not without a goal. But that it's under control. It's goal-oriented. And it's for their good. And fifthly, and I've said this, but I'm going to say it again. Teach your children. Teach your children that God loves them more than you do. In the right way. You know, not in the... You snotty nose brat, I'm sure I'm glad God loves you because I don't. No. We want them to know that we, our children should know that we love them more than anything and be amazed by the fact that somebody can love them more than you do because somebody does love them more than you do. In, in this discipline, in this discipline, Know your child's heart. And when I say that, what I'm meaning is literally, if you have a child that is not professing faith, in your discipline, in your words, in your actions, you should be pointing them towards, hey, you have a sin problem, and that as your dad, we're going to correct what we can on earth, but you're in more, the greater need is for your sins to be forgiven by the God of the universe, who sent Jesus Christ to do that. Give them the gospel. For for our kids who are Christians, we need to look at our parenting as, uh, 
helping them grow in sanctification and holiness and fruits of righteousness. And so we need to be having those type of conversations. Never, ever, ever discipline your children in such a way that they come away thinking God doesn't like a bad little boy or girl. I think too often times as parents we're guilty of that. Now I want to read a quote from a pastor and then I want to I want to give you an example of this being modeled well for me. Here's the quote. There is a peculiar role that the Scripture gives to husbands and fathers. Fathers bear a special responsibility for the moral life of the family. So I urge you to take that responsibility, fathers, and that you be the kind of man who gives hope and happiness and confidence in your children because you yourself have found your hope and your happiness, and your confidence in God. And so, fathers, we are to model what we're wanting to see in our children. And I want to give you an example in my own life, and my mother and father happened to be here, and um, I'm one of those guys who, I, I remember things in my childhood, but I don't remember them vividly, but there are a couple things I remember really vividly, and this just so fits with what we're studying today, the example of a, a good, godly father. Um, my, my father was pastor of a large church, and uh, there were uh, deacons, I mean difficulties. <laughs> Sorry, Freudian slip. Um, there were some difficulties that were there, and uh, uh, if, if I had time, which wouldn't be good for me to air publicly, but if you heard the story, you would just be aghast and um, appalled at the story, and um, if you knew my father, you would be even more aghast and more appalled uh, uh, at, at what he was going through there. And I'll never forget, we were in their room. It was late one evening, I guess probably after a deacon's meeting, probably is what happened. Um, and uh, Dad came home, and he gathered us children around, and he said, you know, I don't know what God is up to. But I feel very strongly um, that God is calling us away from this church. I don't have another job. I don't know what's going to happen as he's sobbing, telling, telling us children this. But I know that God loves us and is good and he will protect us no matter what this means. This stuck with me... <laughs> And I could give you other examples in my father's life where he came to us as a father where the circumstances were not good, they were grim, but the confidence that he instilled in us was not in, hey, I've got this great seminary education, so I'm glad some business would love to have me be employed. No, the confidence that he instilled in us was, this is difficult, this is hard. This is the only church that me and my brother had ever known. This was our family. I know we're being jerked away from that, but kids, I don't understand, but I know that God is good and He's in control and whatever He's doing is for our good. I can point back to that moment and uh, uh, subsequent happenings and I could just walk you through the blessings, the blessings of the hard times. How God grew us as a family. I think my brother and sister, if they were here, could each probably say, 
man, here's what God did. Here's, here's, what's, here's how God, in, in the disciplining of our family, in the training, in the exhorting, in the correcting, in the moving, here's what God did. And it was too wonderful for me to even imagine. So fathers, fathers, I am ending now. I didn't even say ending earlier, I hope, because I get, uh, I get uh, in trouble for saying ending and then preaching for 15 more minutes. When I look over this congregation and think about the men that I get the privilege of being around, the men I get the privilege of sharing with as an elder, the men I get to see in the men's committee, the men I get to see at events, uh, the men that I get to hear from as I'm on several group texts among guys, and, and the things that come in, one of the things I want to say is I am blown away by the fathers in this congregation. Literally. It's one of those things, Gary, several years ago, was talking about suffering, and Gary said, and he's right, he could go row by row and look at you and say the things that God is doing in your life. We could also do that with wonderful examples of fatherhood. Literally, I could, as I'm looking at you, I could go row by row and say to you, eye to eye, this is one of the things I see in you. Keep it up. You're doing well. Men, we need encouraging. We need encouragement, and we need to be encouraging one another. So as you hear this sermon and leave from here today, encourage one another. Encourage one another. You also need community. We need to be involved in each other's life. This may simply mean one of the things that I, uh, one of the great times that I loved with Matt is that uh, Matt and I, before he went to Nashville to do his fellowship, uh, we would read books together. And that was just a wonderful time of fellowship together. Get involved in one another's life. Um, get, if you're struggling, get some older men in your life who have been through it and are willing to tell you about their mistakes. Get some older men in your life. We would love to facilitate that. And, and one of the things to be looking for over the next year uh, as we further develop what we're calling the family discipleship model is that my hope and prayer is that we are just putting resources in your hands, fathers, to help you and to encourage you and to build you up because the crazy thing about raising children is that it's one way at seven, it's a much different way at 13. What I've heard, and as you witnessed earlier in the service, it's one way probably with a 13-year-old boy and a different way it's going to be with a 13-year-old girl. We need encouragement, we need resources, and as a church family, we're here to build one another up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We are blown away to be able to call you Father. God, I pray that we would be encouraged as men. That we would look at the children in this body. And that we would so love them. That we would encourage one another to train them up in your ways. That we would encourage one another to help our children to see their need for your son. That once our children are Christians, that we would encourage one another and that we would be praying for one another as our children grow in their sanctification. God, I pray that as our children see us, they see reflections of their heavenly Father who loves them more than anything. All this is only possible through Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.